You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Video was longer than what I remembered, so I came up here a little fast. For those of you who are relatively new, that's a throwback. You know, Throwback Thursday. Well, that's a throwback for us. That was our welcome video from a super long time ago. And because just a couple of weeks ago we celebrated our 10th anniversary as Every Nation GTA, we dusted that off, and we'll probably use that as our little welcome video for the next who knows how long. So um, for those of you who I have not met, my name is Sheila. And uh, happy to be here with you this morning, continuing our study of the book of Acts. Unstoppable, great that Jacob started with that song today, because our God is unstoppable. This is the book of Acts, and this is season three, because for those of you who might not have been here the last couple of years, we did season one two years ago. Last year we did season two. We have been taking the book of Acts and doing a chunk of it every year as we travel through and, and see what God was doing in the midst of the early church and how the church was birthed. So season three, next year, season four. And I'm kind of thinking, Richard, we should just start over again then because this has been such a a sweet uh, time and series. So the book of Acts. Here's a question. How did a small religious movement among rural Jews spread across the Roman Empire? I think we have a slide for this. Ah, there we go. Spread across the Roman Empire, causing upheaval and spiritual transformation wherever it went. That is the very question Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is trying to answer. The first half of Acts tells the story of the early years of the church, the Christian movement, from the point of view of a variety of characters. The second half, where we are now, however, follows the missionary journeys of one remarkable person. Paul. So we today are on what's called Paul's second missionary journey, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. Before we get to that, Bert and I were um, on vacation the beginning of the month, and whenever Bert and I go on vacation, I like to read. So part of vacating for me is having a, a nice stack of books to read, and I have some fiction books, and I I try to have no work-related books, and I have some paper ones, and I put some on my Kindle. And this year, I was thinking, I've been thinking for a while, it's been a long time in my life. Now, some of you maybe have never read this once, but I've actually, a few times in my life, read The Lord of the Rings. It's a commitment. And uh, I haven't done it for a while, and I was thinking, should I crack out Lord of the Rings for this vacation? And I bought the audiobook. So um, it was much easier. This really nice guy with a British accent is reading to me and all the voices. Um, it's key. I know, Richard, right? It's key, the British accent. Um, so makes it so believable. But why am I telling you this? Because the book, The Lord of the Rings, is kind of different than the movie, The Lord of the Rings. The movie's an epic adventure and, you know, good against evil. And, yeah, the book has some of that. But there's a part of the book where, and probably the inspirational part of the book for me, is where, I was going to say God brought together, but God wasn't the author of this book, where um, the author brought together some very different people. Four hobbits, two men, a dwarf, an elf, and a wizard. 
brought together nine different people from different countries and different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different traditions, um, different ages, because who really knows how old an elf is? Um, they brought their strengths and they brought their knowledge and they brought their weapons, a sword and an axe and um, some magic. And they walked together and they respected one another and they deferred to one another and they set aside their differences for the task that they were committed to. And deep, lifelong relationships were forged. And it was it's a beautiful book of friendship. But friendship with a purpose. Friendship with a mission, friendship with a call, friendship with something, the thing that uh, joined them and forged them together was the call and the purpose that they were serving. And the, the first book is called Fellowship of the Ring, or some pages they call them the company of the ring. You know what company? Company is like the word companion, and it comes from Latin where it's like with bread. Those were the intimate people in your life. Your companions are the people that you break bread with. I, I might eat with a lot of different people now, but historically when you invited people into your home to eat, it was a sign of the depth of that friendship and relationship. So this was a company, a com the company of the, the rings. So today I'm going to call this message the company of believers taken from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 in the Amplified Version. It says this, the company of believers was of one heart and one soul. A couple chapters before this, Peter, this is going to be pertinent today, Peter was quoting, it was the day of Pentecost, God had poured out his spirit. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine how shocking that, that would have been. Everything that was happening in the course of that day, God poured out of his spirit, uh, fire coming from heaven, people speaking in diverse languages. And Peter, who'd been a bit of a wild guy up until this point, the penny dropped for him. He got it. And he stood up and he preached. And one of the things he said to this crowd of people, he started quoting the prophet Joel. And he said this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in these days and they'll prophesy. And I'm sure for Peter, it was like, I get it. Because it wasn't many days before that, that Jesus, some of his parting words to his followers, to that intimate group who was still with him, walked with him in life, saw him die, saw him raised from the dead and were still with him. He said this to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem the city that they were in, and all Judea and Samaria, the, the surrounding area and country, and to the end of the earth. And we're going to see a little bit of end of the earth ministry today. So uh, we're going to look at this company of believers. No hobbits, no elves, no dwarves. We're going to look at this company of men and women. Now, previously, I hope you were able to listen online to Richard's message last week. He did Acts 15. We're doing Acts 16. Yeah. Uh, 
So previously, of course, we can't tackle the whole chapter way too long, but at the end of the chapter, the part that Rich didn't deal with last year, maybe the next time we go through the series, there was actually a, a breaking apart, a fallout between um, Paul, the apostle, the church planner, the great man who read, wrote so much of the New Testament, and his companion Barnabas. They had a difference of agreement. Uh, in fact, the translation I was reading says they had a sharp disagreement. You know, I'm really, I really appreciate the fact that the Bible doesn't sh cover up our humanity. And I don't know why, whether it was right or wrong and what went on between Paul and Barnabas, but they chose to go separate directions. And so we, when we pick up in Acts chapter 16, Paul is traveling with a man named Silas. Barnabas went one way. Paul and Silas went another, strengthening the churches, doing, fulfilling the mission that they were called to. So now we're going to begin reading Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. That's for another message, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Last week, Rich unpacked they, this part. It alludes to what happened in chapter 15. There was some discussion going on in Jerusalem, decisions made, and Paul and Silas went off, yes, to bring you know some of this. There was no email. They had to be verbally told what the decisions were in chapter 15. And uh, the churches were strengthened in these places, and the numbers increased daily. More people were coming to know of the saving power of Jesus. First, you know, this company, we're going to look at the company of believers. Well, this company includes a guy named Timothy. Now, what do we know about Timothy? Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And you know, through the centuries, I'm going to call them mixed marriages. It sounds so terrible, right? But there was so much discrimination against people who were, whose parent was, or parents were from two different cultures. So here he took this guy son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He, Timothy was a recipient later on of two of Paul's letters. They're, we call them now First Timothy and Second Timothy. Paul actually personally wrote to Timothy over the years. He was chosen by Paul to go on this missionary journey. Paul addresses him later in First Timothy as my true son. You can see there's a real affection between Paul and this young guy, Timothy. And how do I know he was young? Well, uh, Paul says later to him and Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth, because you are young, but set an example by uh, your speech and conduct and in love. So we have Timothy, a young man, Greek dad, Jewish mom, um, deep affection in Paul's heart towards this young man. And scholars say Timothy was probably in his late teens, maybe his early 20s. And all the believers, it said in Lystra, spoke really well of him. So the company includes Timothy, a young guy, 
let's keep going. Um, let's keep going. We're not going to read this part. I'm just going to tell you about it. So they are um, traveling on. They thought they were going to go to Asia. And it says the Holy Spirit stopped them. Who knows why? The Holy Spirit stopped them. But during the night, Paul had a vision. And he had a vision of a man, a man standing, a Macedonian man saying and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, so they were going to go one way. The Holy Spirit directed them another way. Paul has a vision. Come to Macedonia and help us. A man is calling him. Uh, We will find out later that Paul may have had a vision of a man, but when he got to Macedonia, when he got to the city, the city of um, in uh, uh, Philistine, is that where he went? Yes, um, he ran into a bunch of women, and this has always helped me in life because there's lots of times when I think I'm going in one direction for a certain reason, and maybe God has something different for me. So you can tuck that one away and think about that one, because that's that moment where Paul has one vision and obeys, and yet what he finds at the other end looks a little different, and yet the Holy Spirit was still directing and leading him. That should give us comfort and assurance. Acts 16, verse 10. And Paul had seen the vision. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We and us. Now, this is a turning point in how Acts is written, because we know the author of Acts is Luke. And he's writing, you know, third person, other people, their stories. And this point in this story, this is fascinating to me. You might not like it. Um, He turns it to we and us. So we know that here is Luke on this missionary journey with Paul. What do we know about Luke? The company of the believers includes Luke. So Luke was the author not only of the gospel or the recordings of Jesus' life of Luke, he was also the author of this book, the Acts of the Apostles. It's actually kind of a continuation because if you see the first couple verses of the book of Acts, it says, the first account I composed to you, Theophilus, a Greek buddy of his. So obviously he had composed one account, which we call now Luke, and he had composed the second account, which is how the church was built and flourished um, after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. So Luke, the author of the books of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. It's traditionally accepted that he was Greek, so not of Jewish descent. He was Greek. He was actually, he's actually considered, he probably was, he is the only Gentile to have written any part of the New Testament. He was writing to a Gentile audience. This man named Theophilus was a Greek. Um, He was a physician. I think he was a pretty bright guy. Uh, And in Colossians, Paul refers to him as our dear friend. So, Timothy, a dear son to me, and Luke, a dear friend to me, those in the company of Paul on this missionary journey. Let's keep reading from Acts 16. From So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for several days, for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to women who had come together. One of those who heard us, one who heard us, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia. Lydia was an Asian woman living in Philippi. It was a leading city of Macedonia at that time, which is actually on what is now the European continent. She was wealthy. She was influential. She was a businesswoman. We know that because she sold purple cloth and someday just for fun, do a little study and research there. It's pretty fascinating. Um, with friends, she was seeking God. Now, they were likely studying the Jewish scriptures and praying together, sitting by the side of the water and uh, it seemed like this was their practice on the Sabbath to go there. There's a chance there wasn't a synagogue in this city, so worshipers would find somewhere else. People who were desiring to know the one God, not all the many gods that had surrounded them in their upbringing. Um, so they were seeking the Lord. They were seeking God. They were studying the scriptures, praying together likely. Biblical scholars say that there's a really good chance she was the first convert, Gentile convert to Christianity in Europe, a woman, the first convert, the first believer to open her home for Europe, for what we would call now European Christians. Um, she had a large and spacious home because she could accompany all the troop that was traveling with Paul. And, uh, you know, she had been seeking God, and when she heard Paul, when Paul came and explained to her, I'm guessing, the message that she had been trying to figure out by looking at God through the scriptures, God, it says that the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. Later on in Revelation, we don't know, she says she's from Thyatira, which I've never heard of, other than in Revelation chapter 2, uh, it talks about there being a church in Thyatira, and people speculate that Lydia had some kind of influence in starting that church, because we don't hear of it any other place, so we hear that she's from Thyatira. We begin to see that she's bringing people, her household, and coming to faith, and, and later on we're going to see she's actually hosting the church in her home. Um, so speculation is that church in Thyatira might have been um, started under the influence of Lydia and her life. No way of knowing for sure, but it's a pretty nice thing to think about. So Lydia's saved, comes to know Jesus. Next, Paul and the gang are still in Philippi, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, 
Again, I love the realness of those whose lives we read about. It would have been kinder if Luke had written, Paul moved with compassion. But he, but the reality is he was annoyed. Can you imagine this woman following him around, this young woman following him around, screaming out day in, day out? So Paul was annoyed, and he turned and said, I command you to come out of her in Jesus' name. And it came out that very hour. Um, she was a slave girl. We don't know her name. She was likely between the ages of 10 and 14. There's a really good chance that her parents had sold her into slavery. Um, she was, it says shouting, but if you look at the Greek word, it says that it's actually like shrieking or croaking or screaming. And she was enslaved on the outside. Somebody owned her, but she was also enslaved on the inside. They were, um, there were, there was something demonic possessing this young woman and shouting out, these men, you know, these men are servants of the Most High and uh, enslaved on the outside, enslaved on the inside. And yet Paul, with a word spoken, saw this young woman set free. So um, I want to just throw in a little aside regarding Paul. Um, I would say it like this. Paul often gets a bad rap when it comes to women. Yet here he is in Philippi and uh, responding to the vision of what he thought was a man calling him, but meeting with a bunch of women at the side of a lake and leading them to the Lord. And then another woman, this young woman, uh, his one of his converts. And um, the prominence of women in the early church are an, is an important thing to pay attention to. Because later on, we're going to see this, this church that was birthed in Philippi was birthed in the home of Lydia. And uh, this young woman was probably a part of it. And they were some of Paul's first converts there. And uh, I think Meaning gets attached to Paul's words sometimes about women that don't match his action because he was bringing the gospel to men and women. Okay, Paul and Cyrus. Um, Cyrus, Silas. So um, the owners of this young women, woman are a little annoyed because she was their source of income. I guess her words must have been pretty accurate because people were willing to pay. She was their source of income. Now, Paul cast the demon out of her, whatever was there possessing her, and, um, you know, she's peaceful and calm, and um, they're, they've lost their income. And uh, so they drag Paul and Cyrus before the magistrates, before the officials of the town, and long story, they're beaten, they're thrown in jail. Um... They are, you know, without a trial, flogged, sent away. And that's where we pick up Paul and Silas in prison in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to those who were in his house. And he, the jailer, took them that same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Who was this guy? A Philippian jailer. So a jailer, jailers in that day were likely retired Roman soldiers, not nice guys, brutal and tough and rough and uh, used to killing people. And um, and suddenly the place is shaken and um, why is he going to kill himself? Because if he doesn't kill himself and all those prisoners are gone, somebody's going to do it for him. They're going to kill him. And uh, his response was, and Paul said, no, 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 we're still here. And his response was, what shall I do? He's looking for something to do. And Paul's response to him is, believe, believe. And he took them home, and he washed them, and he bound their wounds, and his household was saved. And uh, it says he rejoiced, or he was filled with joy. So here's a guy. He wasn't a nice one. He was probably older. He was retired. He had had a rough life. He was not kind to them. If you read between the lines of him binding them and having them flogged and everything that had happened to them, and yet saw the power of God, saw the power of God, yes, but also saw something in the character of these men, that they didn't flee. But they said, no, no, we're still here. And he said, what can I do? What can I do to be saved? So uh, the jailer. And finally, the last verse of chapter 16 says this. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left, left town. On they went on their journey. So by this time, from landing on the banks of that shore, leading those women to the Lord, and then the various people that, whose lives they touched, there were brothers and sisters meeting together in Lydia's house. A church was birthed in that city. And off they go on to their next de destination. We could do a whole sermon on how um, differently each of those three people came to the Lord that we see in this story. Um, Lydia was a Bible study, and uh, the slave girl was because somebody cast a demon out of her. And the, the jailer, I, I truly believe because he saw the character, not just the power of the earthquake, but the character of Paul and Silas. But that might be for another time. Um, I want to just stop today and finish by saying, by looking at this company of believers because here's who God brings together. He brings the prominent and the marginalized. And he saves the educated, like Paul, one of the most educated men, perhaps the most at that time, and the simple, that young slave girl. And he brings the young, a 14-year-old, and the old, a jailer. And he brings Jew and Greek and Roman and he brings men and women together, and that's the company of believers that the church is being established with, a diverse group of people. And I think looking around here this morning, um, we celebrate our diversity, and 
We pray for diversity. We pray for a church that would look like Toronto with however many nations represented here. And and uh, I hope you have friends at this church. And I hope you have friends that are becoming companions to you. People that you're not just getting to know and having a cup of coffee with, but companions, that company of believers that like going back to the fellowship of the ring, that we're more than just friends, but we're friends with a purpose. We're friends with a mission because that's what we see with the men and women of the early church. We see relationships forged, differences set aside, people brought together for their own good, but for the glory of God in that time and in that place. And I want to finish today with our vision statement as Every Nation GTA. You probably don't do deep dives into our website. Some of you might never look at our website. But here's our vision statement. And and it's what we dream of and work towards as a church. As a church, we envision being a multi-ethnic people of all ages who passionately follow Jesus together on his mission to bring gospel transformation to the people and culture of Toronto, and through it to the world. So let's trust and work together and build those relationships and be that company of believers that would, like we're being inspired by the book of Acts, moves the good news and the gospel of Jesus forward. And if you're new here, if you're new here and you're you're just maybe starting to get to know friends, please, I ask you, get involved. Join a small group. Another, an amazing way to get to know people is serve. Join the connection crew or figure out if you can help Suzette bring food every Sunday. Uh, volunteer, to, I know, look after the kids. Serve, get involved in serving and small group and maybe join prayer upstairs. And But let's look for ways to come together to deepen those relationships, to strengthen them for the purpose of the gospel moving forward. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.